Hey everyone, welcome to Zanan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. This is a podcast where we explore the connections between anime and Canadian media. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about Osamu Tezuka anime, or anime connected to Osamu Tezuka characters that have been dubbed in Canada. And I have to say, there's quite an interesting little story, uh, or connecting stories between a lot of them. So I thought it would be interesting to actually just cover um, all of these in one episode. And there's only one person I would want to join me on an episode like this, or I feel would be best qualified to join me. And thankfully, he's here with me today. It is Mike Tool. Mike, thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Oh boy, is my face red here? <laughs> thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, no problem, Mike. What are you? Uh, what do you? What have you been up to lately? What are you? What are you working on right now? Well, I actually just did some on-camera work for Ultraman Day. Uh, this is uh, something that Shout Factory is doing for July 10th. I don't know if the I don't know if this podcast will be posted in time. But uh, it's a little online celebration of all things Ultraman, uh, including a marathon of several episodes of the series throughout the day for folks in uh, North America, ending with the premiere of the 2010 Ultraman Zero movie for streaming. And uh, I, 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 I do a little voiceover. I do a little uh, on-camera work, uh, some fun surprises. Look out for me if you can. Uh, I did, I've done that. I recently did a Godzilla piece for Anime News Network chronicling all of Godzilla's animated appearances leading up to the new Godzilla show, uh, which of course just debuted on Netflix uh, here in North America. Uh, for discotech stuff, discotech media, I've mostly been doing copywriting these days, writing back of the box mm-hmm. copy. Uh, no, no, no other uh, big developments, but uh, we're going to have a lot of cool stuff to talk about with discotech at Oticon. So they're keeping me busy. I cannot, well, I was going to say I cannot wait. I'm, I'm not going to be at Oticon. Uh, that's unfortunately not impossible, but... Well, it's still very murky about cross-border travel between the U.S. and Canada. I, I, I do have one friend uh, who is uh, who is waiting to join his uh, his spouse up in Canada. He's been yeah. stuck uh, south of the border for uh, for the last year. Hopefully, at least that clears up. Yeah, we all we all know a few people in that situation. I, w- I was planning on going to Oticon this year, but and I, you know, I, I guess technically I still could, it could happen. Maybe it could happen, it, but it I mean, happen, you know. But... It's going to be a scaled down event. It's going, yeah. you know, there, there's, it's going to be weird. It's not going to be uh, business as usual. I'm eager to go to it because, uh, let's face it, this is the new normal and we need to start figuring out what large fan events are going to look like, uh, with, you know, with, with extra measures in place dealing with the pandemic. So, uh, yeah. so I'm eager, I'm eager to show up, but I'm expecting it to be different. Yeah, and with the great expense uh, of traveling to Washington D.C. Goodness, from Vancouver, yeah. I yeah. like don't want. I don't think I want to go to something that is you know where we're still trying to figure things out. Um, right. The money would be better spent in a in an, in an event that's a little more predictable, uh, mm-hmm. or you know where, where where things are a little less up in the air. So mm-hmm. that's where we're at For right sure. now, and it's it's unfortunate we've we. Uh, the next Cisco Tech panel will not be online, but you guys have been uh, been pretty good at delivering that stuff consistently over the last uh, year and a bit. So, yeah, and at this point too, knock on wood, we you know typically we can't do online stuff uh, in in Washington D.C. There there are contract mm-hmm. issues. Maybe that changes this year. If yeah. if there's any way for us to do it online as well as in person, we'll do it. But uh, we'll see. I know you guys try your best uh, yep. to say the least. So. Osamu Tezuka anime dubbed in Canada. So Osamu Tezuka, obviously the godfather of manga, often said to be a pioneer of the style. I think it would, you know, in my opinion, it would be maybe more accurate to say that he was uh, a pioneer of the production methods we know now. Yeah, uh, but yeah I would agree with anime that. and manga, which is, mm-hmm. well, I mean, an- anime, it is it is a production method more than, than a style. So, so much of um, the industry as we know it in both Japan and 
well, the United States mainly, can, can be traced back to his early, the early work tied to his properties like Astro Boy, Kimba the White Lion, which in the United States, uh, they were acquired by, N- it was NBC Enterprises who licensed those titles. And, but they did not air on NBC. They aired in syndication. Uh, that's yeah. correct, right? Yeah. Yeah. Back in the sixties, um, NBC had a business unit that wasn't for NBC themselves. It was to develop programs to sell to, uh, to, to, you know, to, to higher band UHF channels. Yeah. As syndicated so, packages. So as far as Canadian broadcasting goes or what Canadian audiences were, were seeing, um, the, these shows did not show up in syndication markets in Canada or on Canadian uh, network mm-hmm. specifically. Uh, it is possible that may- maybe in some markets in Canada, you could have picked up uh, the, the the syndicated broadcasts uh, from a, a local broadcaster in the States uh, through an antenna if you were in just the right area. Uh, to be honest, I don't know if any markets, uh, any, any cross-border markets even had those shows at all. Right. Uh, so, I mean, for the most part, um, Astro Boy and Kimbo were kind kind of a non-starter in in the Canadian market at that time. Uh, however, uh, Kimba did have uh, a presence in French Canada, and it's quite it's quite a significant one, and one's kind of been a little um, little forgotten. And I, I I wanted to I originally wanted to highlight this as its own retrospective, but unfortunately, this dub is certified lost media now, so it's uh, oh, it's no. a little difficult. Yeah, um, and it, it is a Quebecois dub produced in, in it, Montreal or thereabouts. So it is the second. Uh, anime ever dubbed in the French language by Sonolab Studios in Montreal. Uh, wow. The first one, of course, was Sally the Witch or Mini Fay, uh, which uh, yep. I talked about uh, in a previous episode, and that was mm-hmm. and Mini Fay was the first anime ever dubbed in the French language. Mini Fay did not air outside of Canada, and to this day, actually, never has aired outside of Canada. However, uh, Le Roi Leo, uh, and it, it is. And, and the Japanese title, Jungle Emperor, it is not Jungle Emperor Leo. It is Jungle, Jungle Emperor Leo, as I have now learned after watching, um, uh, the, the 2009 television movie. That's, uh, yep. that took me by surprise. Real, uh, yep. Yep. That's, that's, 7 situation there. Yeah, that's, that's uh, sticking really close to the pronunciation guide is what yeah. that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Leroy Leo, uh, was, Produced by Sonolab Studios, so it is actually not an adaptation of the 1965 uh, Jungle Emperor, uh, the the H. E. Yamamoto series. This is they actually did skip that one, the 52 episode. This was a dub of the 26 episode sequel, focusing on uh, Leo or Kimba as an adult, yeah. uh, called New Jungle Emperor. Go ahead, Leo. Uh, so Leo, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that began airing on Radio Canada uh, on September 11th, 1971. Uh, and this is very notable because it was actually, uh, as I alluded to before, it was the first anime ever to air in France. Um, how, however, it did not start the anime phenomenon. That wouldn't happen until about six or seven years later uh, right. with Goldorak and Candy Candy. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, in, in this sense, because it didn't really start anything, uh, it's importance i guess is maybe a little debatable but it was still the first one there and that's right. worth bragging about to some degree i think um mm-hmm. so again uh dubbed by sonolab studio uh it was directed by michel trolley collet uh and he would actually go on to uh do the quebec dub of the 1980s astro boy as well over a decade later um so again this is done by the same studio as minifay i don't know if it was um actually funded by the same production company that handled mm-hmm. uh, Sally the Witch or Minifay, 
Uh, but uh, it was done by the same studio, Sono Lab, uh, and some of the same actor uh, actors um, from that old production came back, and they they re you know you have a lot of actors playing multiple roles. Of course, uh, we have Nicole Fontaine and Flora Belzano. Uh, are, are back. They were both in Minifae before. And, uh, in this one, Leo was played by Alan Clavier, who's actually not an actor. He was a composer, uh, who was, who was doing work with Sonolab at the time. Um, oh, but he, wow. uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and we're going to revisit this angle, aren't we? <laughs> quite, uh, quite a notable one, uh, for, yep. from what I see. And he did, he apparently mm-hmm. passed away in 1998. Um, yep. but as, as I mentioned, this dub is certified lost media. Uh, it ran on, Radio Canada from 1971 to 1977, uh, and apparently it had run, uh, it may have run in France a little longer than that, but by right. 1978, it had disappeared completely. All broadcasts or rebroadcasts of this version had ended, and it never resurfaced again. So basically there was no opportunities for anyone to record it off of television. It's possible that there had been some kicking around at some television stations, but no one has recovered so much as a full episode of it. Wow. Another reason for that is uh, because in the late 80s, there was a new France dub produced for the original Jungle Emperor um, Mm -hmm. that was produced for uh, Club Dorothée in uh, in France. And it was produced in that country, and after they had dubbed that 52-episode series, they also went on to do New Jungle Emperor after that. And just completely did everything from the ground up from scratch. Uh, That version is now the only version you will find of that series in uh, in French anywhere. It's completely overwritten it now. Uh, wow. So uh, so that unfortunately that has uh, probably diminished the incentive for a lot of people to find the original as well because there is another version that probably reached a wider audience at that point right, in uh, the right. late 80s versus the early 70s. So, so that, that's what makes it compelling though. It's just like wait a minute, this isn't the real story. We got to find that original. <laughs> well, what? If, however, if you search on YouTube, there are you know, elsewhere as well. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing has emerged, and that is the original theme song for the series. In fact, there's a, there's a couple of videos I found that have the opening credit sequence intact, which I found a little surprise. What, what I found surprising about that is that it uses footage from Jungle Emperor uh, rather right. than uh, than the sequel series. So I I don't know what's up with that. Um, but uh, the the theme song was uh, was sung by Isabelle Pierre. Uh, she was a notable singer during the late uh, 60s and throughout the 70s. She worked on a number of projects uh, at Radio Canada. And, you know, if you know anything about the ecosystem of, of talent in, in Quebec, uh, she branched out into a whole bunch of her, her own independent work and albums. And she had previously right. done comics for a women's magazine before that as oh, well. cool. And uh, still alive today, yep. uh, at least at the time of this recording. Mm-hmm. Lost Media Wiki has a little information on it, but it's, um, as usual, <laughs> a little... Uh, a few of the details I'm pretty sure are outright incorrect. Uh, oh, yeah. On that. yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate that there is a lost media wiki. I think it's cool that they're they're trying to dig up and classify information of that. But there have been at least a couple of occasions where I've seen a lost media wiki entry for something that was like, wait a minute, I have this. 
or went out of print a couple years ago. It's lost media yeah. now. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, at the same time, I understand, especially why the younger generations of fandom are like, well, this seems to be lost. It's, you know, there's no yeah. directory of older fans to to look up and and ask around. And uh, the fact is, there is a lot of media that was that was released on videotape or aired on television and has not yet made the jump to YouTube or the Internet Archive or, or a robust online place where, where it's easy, you know, indexed and easy to find. Uh, that's, that's a problem I've been working on, uh, but, you know, that's, that's definitely a thing. Yeah, lost media has become a bit of a buzzword uh, in the last mm-hmm. few years, especially as just the, the, being able to instantly find something on, uh, on, U- on a platform like YouTube is like... And that's, that's become the expectation, and if you can immediately find it, then yes, your first thought is, oh no, is this, is this lost? Does this mean you, you can't watch it anywhere? It's like, no, it just means it's not on YouTube. Yeah. And as for why this dub disappeared in 1978, uh, it was very much connected to the bankrupt. Uh, bankruptcy of uh i was gonna Pro say Studios, when you say where, 1978 i yeah. think oh yeah there was a lot going on with kimba at that point yeah in fact that happened in 1973 i'm surprised that the dub stuck around for as long as it did after that uh frankly yeah. but we'll we'll get into that uh in mm-hmm. a little bit yeah and also that lost media wiki as I, as I was saying it states that france banned uh foreign dubbing on television broadcasts in the late 70s which i'm pretty sure is completely untrue uh, because there were several anime series that were dubbed in uh, in Quebec that that aired on French television all throughout the 80s and 90s. Uh, one yeah. of them was Astro Boy. So the original 1963 Astro Boy series uh, has never been dubbed in French at all. I mean, I don't know how many languages it actually has been dubbed in. I know that um, mm-hmm. the involvement of Fred Ladd was the reason why that series was even able to get off the ground to begin with. So yeah. obviously, getting it into the market in the United States was really important. I don't know if it really made it any further than that. If it didn't, if it didn't get a dub in France, that uh, that suggests to yeah. me that uh, it, it didn't really see a lot of airtime outside of of um, the United States or Japan. Yeah, and, and well, and the thing is, the way media worked in the in that era in the '60s is that typically foreign media it would need to be sold in a major market like the U.S. first. Mm-hmm. And then it would be dubbed into Spanish and dubbed into French, you know, based on based on the American version. It was only in the 70s that these countries started dealing with Japan directly. And you had booms of anime in Italy, in France, in Germany, etc. I really was the 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 boom in Italy uh, that all the other countries kind of followed. I know that in the case of of things like Goldorak, it it Mm -hmm. started in Italy and then would just kind of trickle down to the other markets as well. But obviously... Very significant uh, for France. I mean, France followed the coattails of Quebec, then they followed the coattails of, of Italy, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But with the 1980 version of, of Astro Boy, the Noboru Ishiguro directed mm-hmm. one, uh, which you can now watch on, well, you can watch the English dub that was produced by Tezuka Productions on Retro yeah. Crush, which I, I know that they're trying to get the subtitled version. Uh, but they haven't man- – I thought they had managed to do that, but they haven't yet. I think it sounds like there's some um, weird rights issues with it or, yeah, or there's, something. There's, there's a big ball of yarn with a few different Tezuka properties regarding yeah. dubbed version versus subtitled versions that they're they're kind of working their way through. But yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I, I know they tend to be uh, – or Tezuka's estate or, elite, or the studio at least tends to be very pro- uh, protective of certain things. So that that probably creates a lot of uh, a, a lot of issues with this series in particular. I know that Tezuka was really disappointed. Well, as we pointed out, the original Astro Boy aired in syndication, not on NBC, uh, as was expected. Um, Tezuka was really hoping that this would reach a it would reach a wider audience than it did. Um, and I think he, when uh, when his studio was producing the 1980s Astro Boy. 
they really wanted to try and broaden um, its reach as much as possible, which I guess they succeeded in to a degree because it was dubbed in, in more languages. Yeah. Uh, it didn't. It didn't yeah. really reach much of a wider audience in the United States because I believe it was still it was still syndicated. It was um, still a syndication yeah. thing, and it, it didn't even air in many markets here. Yeah. Like the, they had their most success with this series in English. You know, outside of the dub we're going to talk about, like the, the Tezuka Productions dub, they played the crap out of that in Australia. It's very it's yeah. very well liked down there, but here didn't air in many markets at all. Yeah. Certainly not in Boston. I never saw it as a kid. Yeah. So the French version of uh, Astro Les Petit Robot. Uh, was produced by Via Le Monde, uh, Incorporated, which is, uh, as far as I can tell, just a pretty standard media holding company, uh, in Quebec. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was, the dub was produced by Cinelume. Uh, so we've talked about Cinelume before. They, yep. they have done a number of dubs in both French and English. And in this case, mm-hmm. in this Astro Boy, in the case of Astro Boy, they did French and English for it. They, they did Anne of Green Gables. Uh, they did Bush Baby, which, uh, we yep. talked about on a previous episode. Flora Belzano. Uh, who had been in Minifei and Leo or Leo uh, played Astro in this version. Uh, so this dub is kind of notorious because uh, it is quite excessively edited, uh, especially compared to other things that were being dubbed in Quebec and France at that time. Right. So Tessica Productions had already made a few edits to Astro Boy um, in their English dub. Yeah. I know that the yeah, first it, two. It ep- doesn't match up to the to yeah. the original Japanese version. Yeah. Yeah. They they cut out uh, Atlas's entire origin story in the beginning mm-hmm. which which kind of yeah. messes things up and i think they they did a few uh, they removed some other content in later episodes with um just with with murders and, and things like that um so the, that was the base version that they got for producing this french dub um but on top of that uh via le Monde and cinelume they chopped a good five minutes out of each episode uh and the Oof. The story, the story and pacing really suffers. to make room suffers. for commercials? Um, so the, the edits bring each episode down to about 20 minutes. So it might be that they want, uh, well, it was on Radio Canada, so there wouldn't have been, there, were, there wouldn't have been any advertising. It might be, I know that with a lot of, a lot of French dubs, um, they would, they would try to fit them into smaller time slots. So it wouldn't be so much a half hour time slot, but you'd stack a few different shows within an hour. Um, and I think that might have been the case with the Quebec dub of, of Astro Boy. But there's one, maybe the thing that uh, is, this version is most known for is a segment that they would add onto the end of every episode where Astro would go and visit this computer. In the English, they, this would carry over to their English dub later. And in the English dub, the, uh, the computer was named Geronimo. I don't know what it was named um, in the French version. But uh, he would basically give a report summarizing the events of the previous episode, and he'd always make one mistake, and then they would encourage the viewers to uh, figure out what the mistake was and uh, share with their friends, which I, I have to say is one of the uh, one of the more frustrating things I've seen added to an English dub. It seems so uh, <laughs> so asinine and um, and unneeded. It's- it's creating um, content for the sake of creating content. That's funny. Exactly, and to <laughs> and to pad out the episodes as well. Um, right. I, I know this is people talk about this a lot in terms of the English dub that was made later because it it see it seems to not have any purpose. Uh, however, in the original French version, it did have a purpose because the reason those segments were put in was because Radio Canada was hosting a contest uh, for people to actually or for kids to actually send in 
um, letters saying what the error that Astro made in each episode was. And the winner would actually win a trip to Japan to meet Osamu Tezuka, uh, which is, I, I think is really cool <laughs> that they would. Oh boy, you, let's no, get the time machine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, just that they'd acknowledge the, the origins of the show to that extent. Yeah, um, that true. To, yeah. 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 That's interesting. Um, and I, ha- I actually have a segment, uh, that aired after an episode of, of, of Astro Boy where they're, where they're talking about the contest. Um, I've been trying to find mm-hmm. someone who can subtitle it so I can, put it in one of my panels in the future, but I, I haven't been able to do that yet. And it's also really long and would be kind of boring to sit through in the context of, of a panel. Hopefully I'll do something with it someday. Um, but yeah, but yeah, so again, that's the reason that whole thing existed. Uh, so the, the Quebec dub uh, was carried over into France um, on radio Canada. It aired from September uh, starting on September 22nd, 1984 and was on the air till mm-hmm. uh, August, 1989. Uh, but in, uh, France, where it aired on TF1, it wouldn't start until January 4th, 1986. So, uh, a couple years before mm-hmm. it, uh, it moved over there. But it was, it was that version. The only difference with the version that aired in France, they redid the theme song. Um, they didn't change the theme song. It actually has the exact same lyrics and everything. And it's an adapted from the original Japanese version, but they just had French singers do it. Um, right. Again, probably to meet their own content requirements, because France does have uh, their own protectionist requirements, which um, yep. actually led to a lot of uh, the original theme songs that they produced, especially in the, the late ni- late 80s and early 90s. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little surprised that uh, that they were going with with dubs produced in Quebec early on because France has literal language police and you know yeah Quebec Quebecois French is not a one to one match with uh, with Parisian French absolutely not. Well, the the thing about uh, Quebec productions is oftentimes they will mm-hmm. try to speak neutrally. They'll try to speak uh, in like high quote, French, yeah, neutral quite, French. Quote, yeah, quote unquote neutrally, a, a non-existent, yeah. uh, probably like a non-existent neutral French for the purposes of export. And right. as we talked about in the show, in Minifay, they did that. Uh, we were talking yep. with, with uh, Chris and Aaron. They pointed out that, oh, they, they sound like they're speaking metropolitan French. Also relevant to note that a lot of the people who work in dubbing in Quebec are from France as well. Oh, um, I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I know that was the case at Sonolab and pro- it likely the case at, at um, Sinalume. I'm not uh, as sure specifically in that case. Mm-hmm. So I know in your uh, dubs at time forgot panel you uh you featured the english dub of astro boy that was produced yeah. in canada a few times mm-hmm. um so that is actually adapted from this french dub and it was as i mentioned produced by the same studio Cinelume. Yeah. um what so there's only about five episodes out and they're all on youtube you can you can check it out there uh curious to know what what is your impression of this dub from from what you've seen of it I like it quite a bit. Uh, I like the fact that, and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking about this. They used an actual child to play Astro Boy. Uh, I think yeah. he's more, I think he's more convincing than the actress they used in the, uh, in the international dub. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and just in, in general, you know, the, the, the small changes they made, uh, they, they work for me. Um, and, and also I did notice right away that, yeah, they edited it quite a bit. And, uh, you know, over the years, you know, for, for a long time, the international dub has been pretty easy to find. Manga Entertainment released it on DVD, uh, in the early 2000s. But anytime I would talk to an Astro Boy fan north of the border, 
they were always very quick to point out, well, we had our own dub and it was a really good dub and it's really fricking hard to find it now. <laughs> it was specifically a, a gentleman named, uh, he, he goes by the name of Regan Strongblood. He used to run a podcast called Anime 82. Uh, he, he, he informed me a whole lot about this dub and, and got me hunting for it. It's, uh, it's frustrating that there's still, there still only seems to be a handful of episodes out there because I'd, I'd certainly like to see more of it. Yeah. From what I've seen, I, so, so the uh, the Tezuka Productions dub that was dubbed in the United States, right? It wasn't they, they didn't grab a bunch of uh, expats in Japan to to do that. It does it, sound it, like that sometimes. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to say just because the performers in the in the Tezuka Productions dub don't they don't have long uh, resumes. Yeah. Uh, and and I would I would think that they used some sort of studio in North America because if they had if they had dubbed it in Tokyo, they probably would have gone with something you know a, a house like Frontier Productions who had house players who, who had worked on all sorts of different things and had long resumes. But most, most of the actors who worked on that particular production, like there's almost nothing else out there about them, which would, you know, that makes me think, well, maybe they dubbed it in, uh, in Burbank or in Miami using either using people using aliases or people who just otherwise had never dubbed anime. And, yeah. Uh, and, and typically worked, you know, we're doing typical work, more typical work in radio and television. Yeah, it's it's weird that there's like yeah, there's definitely this kind of black hole of information about that dub, and that does lead me to suspect this this wasn't a Tokyo dub because it was always the same group that did those dubs. So this is a, this is this was someone else. Yeah, I found that the Canadian dub, the performances are a little the characters sound a little more natural. Um, yeah, the the translation is quite off. Um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's because it's a it's a big game of telephone because the French dub was basically based off of I think that the the English what dub that Tesla Productions made would have been the basis. What did they call like Mister Mustachio in the Canadian dub, like Mister McNugget or something like that? <laughs> I uh, I had to double check that. Yeah. Um, but I already said who who directed this dub was the same guy who did um the uh, the new Jungle Emperor French dub as well. Um, I don't know who did the English one though. They, they didn't credit the the voice actors, um, for the dub. And no. uh, yeah, no, you, so. you you had to work out who was in there. And the the only I mean the only voice that jumps out at me is is the usual one in a lot of these dubs, which is good old uh, you know may he rest well Walter Massey, exactly, who was yeah. uh, who was the professor in the Bush Baby. He was he was in a whole bunch of uh he was in the Mysterious Cities of Gold, all sorts of productions. He's he's like he's like Mike Reynolds uh, in in Los Angeles dubbing, like a gruff older man voice. He always jumps out at me. Yeah, and the child actor you mentioned who played Astro, Stephen Bednarski. I know a few about ten years ago he was uh, popping up in some online communities saying that he wanted to to reach out to to fans of the show. Um, he had a he had a little bit of a career doing voice acting as a child, uh, mm -hmm. and I know that he you know, apparently he didn't not only did not get credited in in the, this role, but also didn't receive any royalties for it as well, which. Uh, yeah. They, uh, Which, they changed I mean, those laws, thankfully. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to say, you know, dub, dubbed anime can be kind of a thankless thing. But if it's going to TV first, those actors should be getting royalties. Exactly. That's, uh, that's, yeah. yeah. He, he also oh, went yeah. on to play Chad in uh, in Sailor Moon. Yeah, uh, I, I've every, learned that recently, yeah. too. I never knew that. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, like he's the, since... the surfer dude at the shrine, right? Who, who works with uh, Sailor yeah. Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's... Uh... I mean, the original he was he was just like a, a drifter. Uh, I think they made him a. Uh, they kept saying he was in a band in the English dub. I don't know. Right. They, or something was weird. Um, he he has since become a 
uh, a scholar, I believe. And he, yeah, now yeah, he's I, like Professor Doctor Stephen yeah. Bednarski. Yeah, yeah. I've been I I have tried to get a hold of him uh, on the show, and I will continue to try to do so, but I haven't had any luck. Unfortunately, yeah, sure that would be an interesting one. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd love to hear from him. That'd be a uh, that'd be a lot of fun. The Astro Boy Canadian English dub aired. Uh, on global affiliates uh, across the country, September 20, starting on September 22nd, 1984. It stayed on the air till uh, about 1989. I had never seen any of it myself. Yeah, one uh, of the episodes that I have taped is from 1988, and I know this because there is a bumper from like a uh, you know Canadian Hockey League game that, that shows up right before the opening. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've just seen what's on YouTube. Um, and looking mm-hmm. at the ads, they're just like, yeah, this is just a little, little before stuff that I can remember watching on TV. Um, mm-hmm. if I did ever see it, I don't, I don't remember it at all. I guess the other puzzling question about this dub is why it even exists. Obviously, it was in, in Sinalume's interest to produce this dub so they could, right. um, just, mm-hmm. you know, make, make money and royalties and stuff off of it, um, for themselves, not for the, the actors. I'm kind of surprised that Tezuka Productions authorized it. Um, and my best guess as to why is because, again, they wanted it to reach as broad an audience as possible. And, may, you know, maybe from their perspective, uh, the idea of a Canadian exclusive English dub being produced to satisfy um, Canadian content laws and uh, just to get it out to a um, – just yeah. to increase the likelihood of it getting on TV and increase the uh, number of stations who might run it or the frequency that they might run it. That might that may have just appealed to them as a way of uh, of having the show reach a, a broader audience. Well, you you also shouldn't dismiss the notion that they didn't know or care about the you know what what uh, Sinalume was doing uh, with the production after they sold the rights to to Canada. It's entirely possible that well you know Sinalume had the rights to Canada, so obviously it would be in their interest to create an English version. Uh, you know, from Tezuka from Tezuka Productions' perspective, it at that point it may have well been well we sold it to Canada, so that market's covered. What they want, you know, what they want to do in that market, it doesn't matter. We got paid. That's that's a harsh reality of business thing. But especially back then, it's just like, yeah, you know, you're not going to have a producer checking every single line of every single episode that is that is localized in another language. So what you're telling me about the French version, you know, kind of uh, being the predecessor to the Canadian English dub, that that sheds a lot of light to me as to why that dub exists. It's because, you know, it's because Sinalume got the rights to Canada. As I was alluding to before, the French dub seems to be based off of that uh, Tezuka Productions English dub, I guess right. its basis. And then the French dub was the basis for this new Canadian or this new England. So, so it's a game of yeah. telephone. Yeah, it is a very much a game of telephone. Like you, you, you can, if you compare the episodes, you can see that. And they're like, like in the English, in the Canadian dub is like, Oh, well, there's saying these things in the most roundabout way possible. And then when you go back and watch the Tezuka production stuff, it's like, Oh, that makes much more sense. Uh, right. But then again, you get those kind of weird performances in the, uh, in, in the other dub. So de- definitely, definitely a trade off there. So next we got to talk about this dub that was produced by Zaza production in 1993 of Kimba, the white lion. Yes. So back, back to Kimba. I have to say Kimba, uh, surprising history of Canadian dubbing for this franchise. Um, yep. it's almost to the point where I feel like if they do another Kimba thing and it's dubbed in the United States, I'm obligated to be angry. Cause I don't oh, yeah. do that. Yeah, enough. You should. You should. Yeah. You should take a, you should take offense. Be be protective. This particular dub, which I think you could very well call a bootleg by by some definitions. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, <laughs> it was made by Landmark Entertainment Group. Um, actually, Mike, I think I think you can probably explain this whole situation much better than uh, th- than I can. Going back to the, I, the bankruptcy up, of Mushi Pro. 
Yeah, I ended up writing a column about this, yeah. and, and basically for Anime News Network uh, called uh, Whose Lion Is It Anyway? Basically what happened with Kimba the White Lion uh, in the 70s was you know, it had been sold to NBC Film Productions who were, who were selling it in syndication, but there were legal changes in the 70s that stated that uh, national television networks could no longer run parallel film studios to sell to syndicator markets. It was an antitrust thing. So NBC were obliged to, you know, get rid of their NBC Films division and sell that content to a, to another distributor. I think they were just called National Television. And they kept Kimba in syndication for a few more years. But by 1978, their rights package expired. And they contacted Mushi Production and said, okay, our rights are, you know, our rights for this are over and we have all these films. Um, so, do, you know, who do we send them to? And, and what complicated things was, uh, there was a bankruptcy by Mushi Production in the seventies as well. They went, they went out of uh, business, I think in 1973 and had to reorganize, uh, during that, uh, Tezuka left and founded Tezuka Productions himself. But the, there were two complicating factors. One of them is that Mushi Production, you know, the main studio did reorganize and continue. But before they were really able to pick things up and get going again, there was a separate entity uh, called Mushi Production that were basically just an instrument to handle uh, bankruptcy liquidations. Yeah. Uh, and, and this was the entity that was contacted by National TV Productions. And, and so what happened was uh, National contacted this, you know, this, this shadowy leftover Mushi Production uh, that was run by a guy named Fumio Suzuki. Now, Suzuki had brokered the original deal to get Kimba to, uh, to North America. Uh, but at this point, he was just like, well, I, you know, there's not really a Mushi Production anymore. And they're offering me this famous international show for free. So, of course, the answer is yes. And uh, he he busily just kind of went about trying to make deals to get this show sold in overseas markets, even though it wasn't really even you know even though Kimba the White Lion uh, and Astro Boy were not really his. He had some film copies. He you know he had some original assets from the old Mushi production. And for years and years, it was not clear who owned what. And basically, you know, to, once people started filing lawsuits, Suzuki's strategy was well, I'm going to get a laserdisc copy of Kimba the White Lion, you know, the original Jungle Emperor Leo. And that's going to be the broadcast master for a brand new international dub that uh, that's going to be created using all new music because I don't have the original music in effects. And that will be the version that I own and can legally sell internationally. And eventually that got knocked over in court. But for several years, uh, he, he had this own version of Kimba that he had done. And it was dubbed in Toronto, baby. So Zaza Productions, who... I don't think they've done anything else. Well, Zaza Productions have not done many other things. Uh, yeah. Paul Zaza, you know, the namesake, yeah. uh, is, is quite famous. Uh, you, you talked about how, uh, yeah, the, the, the person who had dubbed the earlier stuff for, uh, for French language, Alan Clavier, was by trade a composer. Uh, so was Paul Zaza. He, uh, he's, he actually won a Genie Award, which was, you know, kind of a Canadian, oh. uh, version. Yeah, yeah, version of the, uh, you know, Canadian, uh, Emmys. While that was I, a thing, the Genies don't exist anymore. And yeah, he, he composed the score for Iron Eagle 4. I, I bet you didn't know there was a fourth Iron Eagle movie, but there was. Uh, there was a popular, uh, television program on Nickelodeon in the 80s called Mr. Wizard's World. He did the theme song for that. And uh, so, yeah, the, you know, Paul Zaza was 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 something of a figure. Zaza Productions, I don't think, ever did any other dubbing besides this particular version of Kimba. So, yeah, and it it was only released on VHS. Uh, how many episodes was it again? Did they, did they they only did a limited? They didn't do the whole thing. It was only. I think about, they only uh, did like uh, twenty five or twenty six episodes. Yeah. Uh, this was released on DVD, and in fact, you can still find it on DVD on Amazon. And and also, none of these releases were legal. They were ordered to destroy them and they just kind of didn't. 
but you know, <laughs> since, since since the original production was up in Canada, no no one really pursued it. But yeah, it's you can you can still find a disc that is like Bazooka Joe Bubblegum branded on Amazon for five bucks if you want to check this dub out. Um, I, I did some kind of mail away offer. Like there was a domain name called KimbaDVD.com where if you signed up for a marketing mailing list, they would just send you a DVD with some episodes of this production. And that's, that's how I first discovered it in like 2003 or 2004. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think there have been some reports that it's shown up on, uh, on TV networks. I'm pretty sure that's not true. This doesn't seem like something that could get on television. Um, the, qu- yeah. the quality of the dub is terrible. Uh, I, I know that oh, yeah. The, yeah, the original uh, Jungle Emperor show, like the, obviously you have very limited animation, especially of th- like things on lip flaps. But even with that taking taking that into account, very little effort is actually made to match them. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a huge mess. Um, I know that apparently it has fewer edits than the original. Yeah, um, that was what they, did. That was yeah. what Suzuki said would set it apart. It, like this yeah. is the uncut version. But the thing is, since they didn't have music and effects, they were obligated to rescore the entire thing. And, you know, Paul Zaza did that. He was a composer. Yeah. yeah. But like the original music by Isamu, uh, by uh, Isao Tomita, that was iconic. Like really great. You know, full orchestra stuff. And this is just you know newly synthesizer music. And, you know, and the way they marketed it in the 90s, too, it was a naked, obvious uh, Lion King cash. And they called it, uh, like, those VHS tapes were called Kimba, the Lion Prince. Yeah, it's it's nice to know that those DVDs are still out there if you want to find them. But I think this this entire dub is on youtube if you're if you're really interested oh yeah yeah um, some someone someone ripped those episodes you can sample it it's pretty weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's an experience for sure um incidentally the old dub of kim of the white lion is also on retro crush now if you want to check that out instead i don't i don't know what, what what's your opinion of the the american dub for for kimba Oh, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. It's it was a product of its time. You know, obviously they did some edits for violence. They made a few changes. Yeah. Uh, the cast was absolutely terrific. Uh, Billy Lou Watt, Gilbert Mack. Uh, they they dubbed all kinds of foreign film and cartoons from that period. So the so their voices are really uh, are really recognizable if if you know media from that time period. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've got the whole thing on DVD. It's a it's a proud it's it has a proud little niche in my collection, and uh, I think it's a cool show. For and its time. they. And and that old American dub, they did both seasons, right? The or the fifty two oh. episode segment or the twenty six or just the first part? They just did the first one. The oh, the, okay. the, the sequel with the adult Kimba, uh, that was dubbed by CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network. Oh, yeah, Le- oh right for uh, yeah. Leo the Lion. Leo yeah. the Lion, and that yeah. was that was dubbed in Miami. The the thing that I remember most about that dub is that the actor who played Leo had a very very thick Boston accent and did not do a good job <laughs> hiding it, and that was very amusing. Yeah, I haven't seen that version at all. I've heard people complaining about it a lot, though. It's it's yeah. not great. It's not great. But, you know, yeah. they did it. It's out there. So uh, that dub was produced in 1993. Um, but I think uh, you weren't seeing these same legal issues with Tezuka's properties, at least not to the same extent in Japan. Uh, is that is that right? At least At least for... Oh, there was, um, there was, the there was never, yeah, there was never any confusion yeah. in Japan. The confusion was entirely about who owned the rights to which characters in yeah. North America. And that especially became a bone of contention, like I said, after The Lion King came out. Yes. And suddenly, suddenly you had a color cartoon 
with a you know a Lion King main character, and yeah, that became a hot property. And it, it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just uh, Mr. Suzuki who was competing, like the you know the CBN outfit that uh, that that made that Leo the Lion dub. They acquired that series legitimately um, through uh, through through a Japanese agency. But once they realized the ri- the rights were up in the air, they tried to claim the rights to the character too. There was a there was a whole thing in court. It took a few years to sort out. Anyway, going back to 1989, we're going to talk next about the – I can't remember what the Japanese title was, but the New Adventures of Kimba the White Lion, as it was titled here in North America, and released in 1998 by Pioneer Family Entertainment, which I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> they, they were barely a thing. They did two productions. You know, They did this, and they did a dub of uh, the Dog of Flanders movie. Yeah, j- just the movie, not the series. Just the movie, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. So uh, this dub was handled by Ocean Studios. Um, this particular series was 52 episodes. They only dubbed 13 of those 52, and mm-hmm. uh, two about an episode and a half, possibly a little more, were skipped. Um, I know a yep. lot of people criticize this show for a number of reasons. Well, it's controversial simply because Tezuka died during early into its production, and I think that yeah. um, that kind of heated up a lot of people's. Uh, uh, opinions on it. Um, I know Rintaro was the chief director, but he wasn't actually the on hands director for this one. Yeah. It was uh, Ta- Takashi Ui who, yep. uh, who who did that. Um, so I I know that there's a th- so this is a retelling of uh, yeah, of Leo of um, of uh, Jungle Emperor Leo Kimbo the White Lion, and it ha- takes some dramatic deviations from the original. Uh, from what I've seen, I I'm gonna be to be perfectly honest. I found this show to be kind of dull, uh, just in terms of yep. the way everything is executed. Yep. And this is only compounded in, in the dubbed version. It was done by Ocean Studios, so you get Brad Swale as Kimba and a variety of other voices. You get David Kay, uh, French Tickner, Kelly Sheridan, Paul Dobson, <laughs> lots of familiar voices. You get uh, Scott French Neil. Tickner. I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could not believe that was that man's real name. I had yeah. to uh, I had to confirm with uh, with people who worked with him. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. And of course Scott McNeil doing a variety of stereotypical accents. Um, if you want to hear that, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's worth watching this dub. Um, I found it to be really dull. Uh, they also recompose all the music in it. Uh, have, they rescored it, it and did a terrible job. Yeah. It is so it is so bad. It, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of life to this show to begin with. Uh, that synthesized st- score just absolutely kills it. Like I, yeah, you, I, I, you, I watched, I watched three episodes, and I just, I, I couldn't take any more. It was, it was. Oh yeah, you, you had that. You had the overwrought uh, Don Brown narration. He's like, yeah. now the king of the jungle. <laughs> with the you know, yeah. new theme song that was like Kimba, and then the song winds down with yeah. Kimba. Yeah, like whispered. And it's uh, it's very overwrought. And yeah, I, I agree that like they were trying to do their best to propel this thing forward, but it just wasn't a very interesting show. And uh, Tezuka Productions had a few a few things in the can like that around the time of his passing. Like there was also a big anniversary Ambassador Magma OVA series that was also just kind of you know good idea, guys, but it was it was pretty dull. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was again released by uh by Pioneer Home by Pioneer Family Entertainment. Uh. 
and that that didn't make the jump to DVD. That was VHS only. That was VHS only. I'm I'm kind of I'm my memory may be misfiring here, but I seem to remember like the first tape had three episodes and was in one of those big fat white clamshells that that signaled. uh, This is a kid. This is a video for kids. Yeah. And the then the other tapes were in uh, smaller VHS cases. But yeah, there were two episodes per tape. And and the weird thing is, you know, it was edited uh, pretty heavily, rescored, and like it seems like they were trying to package it for TV, but they just never got a deal. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They were yeah. definitely definitely packaged for TV, um, but for a number of reasons, I, I it, it it didn't make the cut. Um, and uh, apparently, the original version was quite a bit more violent, and uh, it was criticized yeah, the, for that as well. well the episodes which, the episodes they cut out were the episodes where Kimba's father dies, and yeah, he goes down hard in this version. He gets yeah. he gets all shot up and uh, and bloodied and does does the big tear jerking dramatic speech. And oh, they they had to eighty six that for the uh, for the English version. Yeah. But um yeah I think uh most of those most of those episodes are on YouTube now if you want to check those out but it's uh it's Brad Swale. Yeah. Brad Swale. Brad, Brad as, Swale. Teen, as Teen Kimba. Yeah. And they they just jump right into the adolescent voice for him too. It's it's all from, from from episode 1 to episode 2. It's kind of jarring actually. It's yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a version of Kimba that had been, you know, typically in like the older cartoons he had a very young sounding voice until he was an adult. And uh, and then he sounded that way, but yeah, it's yeah, yeah. odd stuff. Uh, so that's it for the '90s, uh, and from here we jump forward all the way to 2017 uh, with a couple of more recent dubs that have just come out uh, to continue this fine narrative of Osamu Tezuka Productions, dubbed in Canada. Um, and these were dubbed at Digital Sound Magic Recording Studios in Burnaby, BC. Uh, which has actually been around for quite a long time, for uh, for 23 years, but it's only in the last few years that um, they've been doing international, or they've been really doing a lot of international content. Uh, they've mm-hmm. been doing a lot of video games, a lot of uh, Korean dramas. There's one game, Alt Deus Beyond Kronos, they seem to be pushing on social media a lot. I uh, I think it's a mobile game or something, I'm not familiar with it. As part of their uh, their increase in um, in international content, find people at the Japan Foundation who are behind the Cool Japan uh, initiative yep. uh, reached out to them to produce some very unexpected dubs um, just in the past couple of years. And one of them was for the 2004 Blackjack TV series, um, which I don't think it had. It, did that have any release here before that? No. Oh, actually, no. Uh, it, it it did. Um, I, the uh, the the uh, startup uh, kind of crowdfund site, Anime Souls. Yeah. Uh, they oh, did, yeah. They it did. was an Anime Souls thing. That's it right. It was an yeah. Anime Souls thing. They got uh, they got two you know two quote unquote seasons of it out. They got the first twenty six episodes of it uh, released on uh, on print on demand DVD with subtitles. I I backed it and I've got those in my collection. But yeah, it 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 never it it didn't get very far. It was one of the first shows where they they tried to keep it going but they couldn't finish it. Yeah. So we have we we have gotten the OVAs uh, for Blackjack in the past, but uh, this TV series had a harder time getting out here. Uh, but in 2017, uh, in what was kind of a, a weird decision to go back to it, but um, you know, I, I guess the Japan Foundation sees value in in, in bringing out accessible uh, Osamu Tezuka stuff. And uh, th- this is a bit of a lighter take on on the blackjack material, especially compared to to some of the other adaptations we've had. I know that so- some of the stories are, are rewritten or, or toned down a bit, at least in, yeah. in the, the yeah, out- there, there are stories. Outcomes, yeah, 
Yeah, there are stories that are rewritten, and notably, especially in this first series, because they made two of them. Uh, they, like, you know, the, the other uh, Tezuka characters, like the Three-Eyed Ones and, uh, and you know, other uh, all, all of the Tezuka star system are, are written into the story a lot more closely. You see them more regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, yeah, it's definitely, uh, there's some new material that isn't really related to the original manga. There is a sequel series they made to this called Blackjack 21 that is a little more true to the original manga, but also has an overarching story arc, uh, which the original manga did not have. All of, all of the original Blackjack stories were standalone. Yeah, I was I was reading that uh, Digital Sound Magic also recorded Blackjack Twenty One, but I can't actually find yeah, any. Yeah, I've, indication I've that heard the same, but yeah. for whatever reason, they only released fifty what fifty episodes, which isn't even the entirety of the original series. Yeah, there's another ten or so. Yeah, yeah. But um, that, this this all just showed up like on Amazon one day, <laughs> like no fanfare yeah. whatsoever. Amazon Prime in the U.S. only. Uh, we didn't, yeah, we didn't get that, that at first. That was that was a twist of the knife. That that puts the exclamation point at the end of Zanen Canada when the dub produced in Canada isn't even available to Canadians. It's a story we know all too well, uh, but yeah. thankfully it is on Tubi now. Uh, you can yep. watch it there. The whole fifty fifty two episodes. Um, so this was directed by Richard Dolmat, who is the CEO of Digital Sound Magic, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and he actually has been for. The, almost the entirety of, uh, of of that company, um, and I this dub is very uh, very rushed sounding. Oh yeah, uh, I, did, yeah. I don't think there, there's a lot of a uh, lot of lines that were definitely done in one take. Um, yep. Sometimes it feels like maybe they had like 15 minutes to record a 20 minute episode. Yeah. Um, they they definitely and, had to bang this out, and it shows, unfortunately. And it, it's, it also it seems like the like the translations they got were simplified, and they didn't even realize when they were recording. Oh, I have like a five word sentence, and I have three lip flaps, and I'm going to have one left over at the end. If you just want to, you know, casually watch it and put it on in the background, it'll it'll do the job for sure. And uh, even though it was it was actually dubbed in Burnaby, BC, which is a suburb of, of Vancouver, mm-hmm. so outside of the the city core where most of the stuff is usually done. But um, there's a few uh, a few voice actors you'll recognize from Ocean Productions, like uh, like Sunny Westbrook is in this. Yeah. He's best known for for her work in uh, in My Little Pony. Um, and David Godfrey plays Blackjack. I couldn't find any information on uh, what else he's done. I know there's a couple David Godfreys. Yeah, I, I, I looked him up when the dub came out. He's a stage actor in that yeah. area pri- primarily. So yeah, he doesn't have a lot of screen credits. Yeah, well, I just yeah. called myself out for not seeing a lot of plays, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the series is okay overall, I find. The dub, unfortunately, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of rush-sounding. I, I actually had to double-check to make sure that this wasn't the, the, the Hong Kong-produced dub that they had done uh, about a decade earlier, which uh, that is actually not anywhere uh, from what yeah, I've been Yeah, I've been that, looking that for that for years, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, no, this this one, I mean, I, I, I understand why uh, the Japan Foundation went with this, uh, and this was something I didn't realize until I started watching it in earnest. This was actually one of the first anime TV series to be done in high definition natively. Uh, so this is an upscale. This was done in full HD in 2004. So so going after something this old makes sense in terms of, well, it's it'll it'll look good on modern TVs. They won't have to do any upscaling or reformatting of the picture. Um, but, but yeah, beyond that, the impression that I got was that, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a particularly good dub. Uh, I like, I like, uh, Westbrook because she's a really seasoned performer and, uh, her, her version of Pinocchio, like Blackjack's little kid sidekick is fun. And yeah, she's, she's a bona fide little pony, right? She's like cozy sunshine or something like that. Yeah. One of and in, in Japan, this show was the replacement for Inuyasha. So it ran in, sure. like, it, it was a pretty high profile, um, 
Oh yeah, yeah. Bla- sure, Blackjack so. is a very popular yep. character in Japan, even to this day. Digital Sound Magic also did one other dub uh, a little more recently, and this title was just added to Retro Crush. Uh, Jungle Emperor Leo or Leo, whatever, whatever you want. Uh, the Brave Can Change the Future, which is a TV movie that aired in Japan in 2009. Um, yep. And all this uh, dub was also funded by the Japan Foundation. Uh, so this was supposed to be celebrating, at the time, the 80th anniversary of Tezuka's birth. So I guess what would have been his 80th birthday. And it yep. was uh, directed by Goro Taniguchi, who uh, you may know as the director of Code Geass, uh, mm-hmm. Gunsword. And uh, most recently, uh, he directed the actual best anime series of the year so far, which is Back Arrow, uh, which yeah. just uh, just ended recently. A uh, very good show. Go check it out. Yep. I don't know why it's not more popular than it is. It's, it's carrying the standard for mecha anime at this very moment, but it's just not doing it very loudly for some reason. Yeah, it's it's weird. So I, I checked this movie out. I got to say, I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting to, because when you read the description for this thing, it do, it seems like a really puzzling take on the Jungle Emperor Leo franchise. Because, it, it, it is a really puzzling yeah. take. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it looks cool, and it, it's got some really great action sequences. But yeah, it's it's definitely kind of a, a different take on, on uh, Jungle Emperor because it's a near-future thing where they're, uh, you know, they're, they're making, you know, it's, it's like a Jurassic Park version of Jungle Emperor where they're, re, re, you know, reconstructing a jungle because the real ones died out using cloned yeah. animals. And moved every animal, well, they moved every animal over there. Yeah. And yeah. and and then the idea is that now they're going to start cloning them, which mm-hmm. I, I <laughs> moving all the animals would have been a huge effort. So I'm not quite sure why uh, they went to that effort if they were just going to do the cloning anyway. But mm-hmm. that's the conflict of, of the film. Um, I, I thought it was pretty good actually. I I, I quite enjoyed it. The uh, the the villain is even in this era where we have a greater appreciation of um, people who are just straight evil without any justification. He he is kind of laughably one dimensional and just. Uh, explicitly states the the problems of his own objectives uh frequently yeah. which i found was kind of kind of amusing and also but you know it's, it's, uh, he's a he's a it's forward looking he's the, this character yeah. is definitely a forerunner of like the ignorant uh you know full of himself tech bro who's just like exactly. wait a minute i know the solution it's it's to destroy yeah. everything and start over also its take on like the relationship between animals and and humans is a uh, uh, quite a bit more pessimistic uh, than than the original. Yeah, in, it's a different in some ways. Space. Yeah, because I mean, the, like Tezuka's idea for Jungle Emperor was always the notion of okay, what if animals got together and tried to form a society? And this 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 film is not really addressing that. It's uh, it's definitely a little bit different. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's uh, you know, I liked it a lot. Uh, I, I I recommend checking it out, and it is on Retro Crush. Now. It's a surprisingly heavy yeah. watch too. It's almost two hours. It is, yeah, for, for a TV movie. I, I going in, I thought it was going to be like fifty minutes or something, but no, it's it, it is it's feature length. So, um, but yeah, uh, so this uh this dub, uh, even though it was done by the same studio, I thought it was night and day compared. Oh, to Oh, absolutely, Black. you, you can tell better. that they they had much more time and resources to put into this one. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it quite a, a number again, a number of uh of familiar actors. Sonny Westbrook is back in this. Uh, some other familiar people like J- uh, Jesse Inokala, who's been in some ocean stuff recently. Uh, my good friend Josh Goring got to play some bit roles in this, which uh, I'm he oh, was cool. very excited about. So, Excellent. um, so that you know, quite qu- quite a, a a range of talent. Um, so a few actors I had never heard of who I thought did a really great job as well. The director Carolyn Davis, she's been on uh, also the COO of the organization. So, uh, yeah. the uh, you know the they're 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 pretty hands on with their own stuff there. 
she's been on social media and uh, was really excited about this production uh, and was trying to get, bring a lot of attention to it. And I'm glad I checked it out in the end. It was uh, it was pretty solid. Yeah. And I, I, as a point of clarification, both of these productions uh, that, that uh, Digital Sound Magic did, Blackjack and this Jungle Emperor Leo movie, they showed up first on Amazon Prime streaming video. Now they're not on that platform anymore. And like you said, Blackjack is on Tubi and uh, uh, Jungle Emperor is on uh, Retro Crush. I don't think either of them are anywhere else. Yeah, Amazon is really um, unreliable. <laughs> they're yeah. very they're very inconsistent. You know, unlike other platforms, they don't have the same stuff across different regions all the time. Except sometimes they mm-hmm. actually do, and just wait to put them on in other areas for no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, I know their entire anime. Uh, sort of strategy collapsed a few years ago and everything seems to has been very yeah, chaotic they, since then. they seem to be making moves to having their own branded portal which yeah that made sense but then they they just kind of abandoned it but now they're starting to license anime again so who knows so yeah that's uh that's all i got Any, anything you want to add mike um, I think it's really cool that uh, that you know we have productions that are coming up to the present day with these digital sound magic ones. I I'm just really rooting for okay. So if they dubbed Blackjack 21, where is it? I want it. <laughs> Hopefully they got better at it as they went along. Uh, that's that's a really cool series. And uh, also you know the perennial you know we're we're pack rats. We want the physical token that has the content on it. So I want uh, I want Blu-rays of these uh, productions too. So they need to hurry we're up and make with that. We're still waiting for those. Uh, Blackjack OVAs on Blu-ray too. Oh, uh, I know. But they're I know. yeah, they, they seem to be tied up. They are that is on Retro Crush as well. A lot of this stuff mm-hmm. is on Retro Crush. Os- Osama Tezuka stuff is very accessible now. It's great. Yeah. I know. Uh, yeah. I-, I was going to mention at the beginning of the episode. I wasn't really exposed to any of his stuff myself uh, mm-hmm. when I was growing up. I don't think there was anything on TV uh, during my specific uh, kind of upbringing in the during the nineties. And I think me- the Metropolis movie, when that came out, that was like my first real exposure to anything that he'd done. And since then I've, you know, I've seen Astro Boy and, 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 and a few other things as well. Yeah. The only other thing that I can add to is, uh, I just remembered the, uh, the 1989 Kimba series. I'm pretty sure the subtitled version of that is on, uh, anime log, which is a YouTube channel, like a licensed YouTube channel for older stuff. So I think, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. if you could check the, uh, the original uncut version of that boring ass old show, uh, on that <laughs> channel. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that does it for today. Uh, Mike, can you mm-hmm. let uh, everyone know where folks can find you online? Well, like I said, uh, you know, if, if, if this, uh, hits the internet before July 10th, uh, 2021, uh, that's, that's Ultraman Day. Uh, so look for me on Shout Factory TV on that day. Uh, other than that, you can still see me periodically on Anime News Network. I do occasional feature articles now as the editor at large. And, uh, I'll continue to be working with, uh, with Discotech Media as well. So, you know, keep an eye on me on, uh, Twitter at Michael Tool. And, uh, and, uh, let's keep on going. Great, and thanks for tuning into Zon in Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email Canada at gmail.com. Uh, the theme song is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found on his album Packet Flood, and you can find that at ultraclystron.com. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or uh, whatever podcast app you use, and I'll see you again.
qui chante son amour. Leur seul désir se réunir sous la bannière de Léo. Amen. Mm-hmm.